Welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee Billett. If you employ staff, engage contractors, or rely on people to help deliver your products or services, you're in the right place. Join us each week as we dive in to uncover what makes people tick, learn the best strategies and tactics to build an amazing team, and most importantly, discover how you, the business owner or leader, can unleash the power of your people to help create the successful business you deserve. Let's get started. Hi there, Christy Lee here, and welcome to episode number 71 of the People Powered Business Podcast. How are you? I hope you're having a great day and a wonderful week, whatever you're up to. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest joining us, which is super exciting. I always love it when I get to have a chat to others here on the podcast. Today, we are chatting with culture expert, Sarah Williams from Leading Culture. Now, Sarah is a workplace culture expert, and I invited her here on the podcast because culture in our workplaces is something I think we're all really conscious of, yet um, sometimes we're not particularly clear on what our culture is or what culture we're trying to create. And I know in some cases, we sometimes feel like our culture kind of gets hijacked by some of the people on our team. And I know many of you listening are very conscious of trying to create a really great workplace culture. I know you see this as one of the most important things in really creating that great work environment. And what I see often happen as well is that culture can kind of form a life into itself when the wrong people are influencing others in our workplace. And I was really curious to get Sarah's insight and feedback in how we can influence our culture in our workplaces and how we can go about really understanding how strong our culture is and if we think it's not great, possibly improving that. So let me tell you a little more about Sarah. As Sarah shares with us here in the podcast, she actually started her career as an accountant. Now, I've heard of lots of different career backflips, but accountant to workplace culture expert is right up there. Um, I shared with her that my husband is also an accountant by trade, but he's a marketing and business growth strategist now. Another seemingly strange backflip. But she shares with us how she came to understanding how important workplace culture was and her quest to um, really understand it better and help organizations improve that culture. So Sarah resides in New Zealand where she joined us for from here on the podcast and she works now as an expert in organizational culture both in New Zealand and also all across the world. So wherever you're listening in from Sarah's business can certainly assist you on this workplace culture space. She helps businesses to design and facilitate transformation in their organizations. They participate in what we call culture audits. And she really works with businesses to help improve and make a positive impact on their workplace culture. I was really, really excited that Sarah could join us here on the podcast. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the interview with Sarah Williams. Sarah Williams from Leading Culture, welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. No, thank you for joining us today. I'm so pleased and excited to have you here on the podcast because as we were just chatting about, culture is such a hot topic and something that I know the audience wants to know more about, wants to understand better and something that they're constantly focused on. So I'm so excited to have a culture expert here with us on the podcast today. 
thank you so much. That's now, a very kind praise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of course. Now, before I have given everyone a little intro on you, but it's always better to hear it from you personally. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone about yourself, what you do, what your business does and how you help organisations? Oh, with pleasure. Um, So in order to give a little bit of a sense of who I am, it probably helps to tell you about my previous career because I actually started out my career as an accountant. And many people would be, yes, many people would be shocked at that um, because it feels like I sort of um, switched to the other side of the tracks, if you like. Um, But what happened is um, I was was an accountant in a large manufacturing organisation and I got tasked with, I used to get given a lot of projects um, in which I could sort of provide numbers to what was going on in the organisation. And one of the tasks that I got um, that I was asked to lead was a project of implementing a lean methodology into the manufacturing business. And as I went through that process, which was, you know, sort of, gosh, two to three years that we implemented that going across all the teams, I really started to get this sense, this inner gut feel that I had this really wrong because up until that um, stage, I was quite famous for being um, for being known to say, just give me a balance sheet and a profit and loss and I'll tell you what's wrong with your business, right? And as I started to go through this process and working with all these teams, I realized I had this absolutely, completely and utterly wrong. The power, the power wasn't in the numbers, it was in the people. And so I just, I had this absolute epiphany and thought, I just, I cannot continue to do this work anymore. I need to be working with the people. And so that led me into a pathway of working in organizational culture because you can't take the numbers out of the girl. And so I was always looking for places where I could leverage my capability um, and leverage the results that an organization was achieving. And so all roads kind of led to culture, basically. Um, And so I started really deep diving, really getting an understanding of what was culture all about? um, You know, why was it this great unknown? And how could we quantify it and qualify it um, and start to measure it and start to make um, effective and positive change on organisational culture? So I've been doing it now for 17 years, I think. Wow, that's amazing. And you're so right. Accountant to culture expert seems like a very odd journey. And I laugh because my husband's an accountant and he's made the transition to, he's now a marketing specialist, which seemed like a stretch for most accountants at that time. But accountant to culture expert is definitely a a totally different way of thinking. And I think for so many of the professions that are, you know, more technical, more analytical in nature, like accounting, you, you rely on the numbers and you, like you said, you know, the profit and loss, the balance sheet, all those things tell us the health of a business, but it's not until you see what can really happen when you can engage people and the impact that has on the numbers as well, when that's where the, you know, the really exciting stuff can happen in business. So yeah. I love that you've made that journey. Yeah. And I'll be forever thankful to that organization and that project for just opening my eyes to that because, you know, it's, it's changed the trajectory of my career. That's for certain. And as a result, I've been able to help so many organisations along the way. So it's been fabulous. Excellent. Excellent. Now, you you touched on the fact that you set out on this, uh, you know, quest to learn more about this concept of culture and understand it. And, and I think that's a great place to start because I think for so many of us, defining culture, understanding what exactly culture is. I mean, we all know that our workplaces 
have a culture. Is it a good culture or a bad culture? But we kind of understand the concept, but it's really hard to articulate. How do you define culture? Yeah, um, and it is the million-dollar question. I often say that um, culture is like the black box of an um, organisation. You know, nobody looks at it until the plane goes down and then they start to wonder what on earth is going on. Um, and so I, um, I, just, I just stick with a really simple definition, quite honestly. Culture is the way that we do things around here. And from that comes so many different things. But what my experience is, is that for organisations, what quite often happens is they start to overcomplicate the whole culture, um, the whole culture discussion, the whole culture parameters, like all the bits and pieces that go around culture, they start to overcomplicate it. If we just simply pull it back and say, this is the way that we do things around here, and we look at our organisation from that lens, then we can actually start to draw it back and simplify it, and then we can really make effective change. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. This is how we do things around here. So simple, but that's but that's that's but that's it. It's so powerful. And I think uh, when I'm working with businesses on the HR side of things, it's often that piece that they really struggle with um, around. You know, things like performance management and those kind of yeah. things. It's they they're really good at saying these are the task lists, but when someone's just not doing things in a way that really sits with the culture, um, that's where it becomes really you know, challenging and defining that and, and just as simple as writing in things like this is how we do things around here. So you're articulating it in whether it's your vision or your mission or, or whatever else, but you're actually living and breathing what that is. Exactly. And I always encourage my clients to say, what is it that you would want to, in an ideal world, in the ideal culture, what are you looking to see in this organization? What are you looking to hear in this organization? And what should people be feeling in this organization? Because mm. if we can look at those three kind of um, senses, then we can actually start to really develop some, um, some conversations where behaviors fall out of that. And mm. so now we can start to say, this is the way in which we behave around here, right? And we can really start to form the culture from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about the difference between values and workplace culture, because I think this is where people often, like you said, overcomplicate things or try, I think in an effort to try and articulate their values or their culture, they get all muddled up and kind of end up lost in their own kind of world. Mm. What do you see as the difference between values and culture or how do the two feed, feed off each other? Yeah, so they did, I mean, there's definitely a relationship between values and culture. You can't um, you can't deny that. However, there are organisations that have no values and they still have culture, right? Mm. So, um, so values can be a way that you can. They're a lever essentially that you can use to help shape shape your culture. But I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. It's only if you've done that work about what the values mean and how does that mean I need to show up as your employee in the organization if you haven't given me that information then you're leaving me high and dry mm. and I can't well I'll just make up my own information basically where there's my, where there's an information vacuum I'll make it up so so in order to um to because I think values is a as I said a really great lever to help with culture um, and so if we can define well how is it that we want people to behave how is it that we want to get things done around here 
then we can start to shape some values. And of course, you know, when you get people um, like work groups working on values, what should be the values of our organisation, you're going to get a lot more um, buy-in and engagement in that process as well. And then you also get some really great feedback because if you've got an organisation that's saying, well, we think that the top values should be... Um, uh, let's say, um, sales or revenue or something like that, mm. if they're saying something like that, then that's giving you some really, really interesting feedback saying, okay, well, clearly I've positioned this organisation as something that will, you know, do anything for the for the buck. Yeah. Um, and rather than, you know, if the first response was, well, we think our highest value should be integrity, well, now you've got a really different um, conversation happening and you've got a really different um, sense of feedback from them. So, so values and culture are definitely separate. However, they, um, they do go hand in hand and when used well together will be really effective for an organisation. Absolutely, because I, I guess what you're saying there is if you're really clear about what your values are and genuinely are, you know, being present in those values in everything that your business does and that you do as the leader, that's going to form and, and help form your workplace culture. Where if you have a, if you're not clear on your values, you will have a culture, but it may not necessarily be the culture you want to be creating in your workplace. Yeah, so definitely, you know, we want um, culture by design, not culture by default. Mm. Sorry, dog just going. Back. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, we want culture by design, not culture by default. And if we are holding ourselves as leaders mm. um, to those values and making sure our actions portray those values, then that is going to feed into the organisation. Mm. Um, one of the other things that I'm pretty um, famous for saying is that, you know, culture is a numbers game. And that is... By in saying that, I mean that actually the numbers have it when it comes to setting the culture. But you know, all is not lost for leaders. Um, they do get a chance to shape the culture, and it's usually through those values that they get the chance to shape the culture. Mm -hmm. So you know, we've learned from very very young um, children, young babies, to look up to see role models mm -hmm. and to see how we should behave in any new environment. And so we do that naturally when we go into a new organisation to start work for them, we start to look up and look around at what the leaders are doing and how they're behaving. And that's our cues as to how we should behave, which of course then shapes the culture. Um, but if we're looking up and we're saying, hang on a minute, the words on the wall say this, but yet my leader is doing this, mm -hmm. you know, like that's just confusing. And so that's when you start to get people just checking out and they get really disengaged. Yeah. And we talk a lot about disengagement here on the podcast, such a dangerous position for businesses to be in with a disengaged team. Yeah. And touching on your point earlier, when people don't know the rules or the parameters or the values, they're going to make up their own. It is human nature to, like you Absolutely. said, fill in those gaps. Yeah. So if we're not articulating it or even worse, and I've seen this happen time and time again, that an organisation thinks that they have strong values because they're written on the wall and because they spend a day in an you know, expensive executive meeting coming up with those, but the behaviour of those in the senior leadership team was polar opposite, it, it doesn't match up. Just because they're on the wall doesn't mean that that is what the values are and, and your behaviour as a leader sets those values more. Yeah, absolutely. Else. So, 
you know, if you're looking at doing values in your organization or you have a set of values, I would really invite you to do a refresh on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and by doing that, the first place is, you know, um, well, there's two starting places. You can go to the um, to the masses and say, what should our values be? Mm. Um, that's my preferred approach. Yeah. Go to it, the masses, say, what should our values be and why? Why do you think they should be our values? Um, and then you can bring that back to an executive team and say, okay, let's shape and mould what we want out of this because you do need to have a little bit of a futuristic view as to where, do we, where are we taking this business and will these values still hold true in a few years' time? Mm. Um, And then once you've done that, the first thing that you need to agree as an executive team is what does this mean in terms of our behaviours and what does this mean in terms of the behaviours that we expect from others? Um, How are we going to hold each other to account in our executive team to make Mm. sure that we are living by the values? Because let's face it, we're all human and sometimes we slip up. I know, um, you know, within my team, we hold each other to account all the time on our values. And if mm. somebody slips up, it's a really natural conversation to say, hey, I don't think that was aligned to our values. Yeah. You and know, that part of the workplace vocabulary yeah. to have those exactly. conversations, that it's safe to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then to um to really empower our leaders all the way through the organization. So if you've got multiple levels of leadership all the way through the organisation to be um, having those same sorts of conversations, to be holding others to account, to be sharing and taking every opportunity that you can to say, this is the expectation that we have of you based on our values. This is what it means. And this is how we expect you to behave Mm. based on our values. And if you do that really well, so much of the performance management stuff Mm. can go away. So much of all the stuff that we spend a lot of our time on can um can really just we can be spending our time on far more valuable things rather than correcting behaviors and that sort of thing because our values have really done it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not too many organizations that really go to that level. Mm, no, I'd agree. And I think the other thing I find too is it's really powerful when peers in an organization feel empowered and safe to hold each other accountable. I think it can be even more powerful than a manager or a leader pulling someone up on, you know, not adhering to values or not, um, you know, engaging in the workplace in a way that's aligned with our values. When your peer has something to say to you about it, you tend to listen more because we don't want to let our fellow peers, our teammates down yeah. inherently. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I really favour the approach of taking it out to the masses, first of all, and saying, what should be our values? Mm. Because the thing that usually comes from that is they will they will bring to the conversation their own personal set of values. Yeah. So, you know, if example, you know, somebody's got a very strong sense of um, or a very strong value around fairness, for example, mm-hmm. they'll be saying this should be part of our values because it matters so much to them. Mm-hmm. And so then if they can have that alignment with their own personal values and their organisational values, you know, we're golden then. Absolutely. It's one of the things when I when we're talking about actually bringing your employees into our businesses, that is just something that I focus so heavily on with, with our businesses is you've got to get the values alignment right. I don't care how technically brilliant someone is. If there's a misalignment in values between your company values and their personal values, it's never going to work long-term. They just won't be happy and they won't be at their best. Mm. Mm. So if you've got them established, you can use that as part of making sure you're bringing in the right people into your business as well. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that 
culture is a numbers game. And I think that's interesting. So were you referring to, um, you know, the majority of employees can shape the culture if you don't have a handle on it yourself as the leader? Yeah. So um, there's a there's an age-old debate around culture, mm. um, of which I am very vocal about. <laughs> um, on if you if you see my name in social media anywhere, it's usually linked to this conversation mm-hmm. because there's quite an age-old debate about the fact that you know leaders set the culture, and I think that's fundamentally mistaken mm. because I really believe, and I have so much evidence because I've seen this happen in organisational cultures, large, small, and everything in between, all over the world. Um, to say that actually, you know, a leader can stand there and say, this is the way that we want you to behave. This is the way that we want the culture to be. And the numbers have it. They Mm. will just decide whether or not that is okay with them and whether it's not, you know. So, um, and so they can shift the culture completely. And I've seen that happen many times. And often, sadly, Mm. my organisation is the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. (laughs) so yeah, it's it still is a numbers game. You know, I'm not sitting here saying though, leaders just you know put your hands up and say, oh well, there's nothing I can do about it because that's not the case at all. We've just discussed um, the role modelling aspect of um, values and culture, mm. um, and also the fact that you know leaders shape the culture through their communication, through their actions, and through their behaviours. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really stepping into your role as a leader. And I think for some business owners, they get into business because, you know, they're great at whatever they do technically and they have a dream to have a thing of their own. But you cannot build a business that's going to be successful by any, you know, measures as well as give you as the business owner any sense of freedom without having a team. You you can't do it all on your own. And what I think is a little trap that a lot of business owners fall into is they build the team, but they don't have you know, leadership doesn't come naturally to everyone. And I think that is something that we need to have, you know, broader discussion about that it's okay to invest in learning to lead. And so they find themselves in this situation where they're leading and managing a a team of people, sometimes a very big team of people, yet they don't know how to lead and they haven't spent time developing those skills. They may have spent years developing their technical skills, but it's so important for us to develop our leadership skills so that we can influence the, the culture in our business so that we can have the right people and know what to do with them once we've got them oh I I couldn't agree more I um I really feel that leadership development is one of the most undervalued areas of development that people can do Mm. and I think it's really interesting because if you think as well about the sort of shift from leadership sorry from management to leadership in the 90s I'm going to yes, say yes yes um and how even that required a huge skill set and attitude shift mm-hmm. and yet we still find leaders in very high and powerful positions behaving as managers and and so you know I think also there's there's a management skill set that's required in some roles there's a leadership skill set that's required in all roles mm. as well is how I feel because I also think that why are we not developing our people to be leaders as well because they are you know most of us are leaders in a home um some of us are leaders in community groups you know like all sorts of things we we um have leadership skills um but often like you say they're not developed Mm. um or when we're not given the opportunity to use them at at work which is crazy to me 
I couldn't agree with you more. It's something that we, um, and I have this conversation a lot um, with a colleague, Juliette Robinson, who I uh, co-host Clubhouse Rooms once a week, and, and we often <laughs> fall back into this. The problem is we're not developing our leaders conversation. It's um, it's a real, real challenge, that's for sure. Back to this numbers game, I have a question here. Now, this I, I will let you know, this question came from uh, our people-powered HR community, and I mm-hmm. let them know I was interviewing a culture expert today and asked them, were there questions that were burning inside them that they wanted to know? And I thought this was a great question because I think this comes to the crux of what a lot of people are uncertain about when it comes to culture. And the question is, how do we measure the strength of our workplace culture? And specifically, should we be using you know, uh, research? Should we be using apps, tools, um, surveys? How do we know if we've got a good or strong or positive workplace culture? Yeah. <laughs> It's a a, a big um, question, I know. It's a huge question, and I'm going to tackle it in a few ways. Yeah, great. So the first thing when we think about workplace culture, how do we know if we've got a good one? Well, Mm. if we've we've designed it and we've actually said, here's the values, here's the behaviours that I am looking for in my my organisation and in my culture, and now we're seeing those occur in our organisation, we can put a giant tick against that. That is perfect Mm. Um, because we are actually creating the culture that we set out to create. That's what that means. So we're going to be looking for evidence to say that the behaviours are occurring that we set out um, and that we identified at the outset. And we may need to shift those, you know, like we're in very fast-moving organisations now. So those may need to shift over time. But you want to be constantly vigilant and looking out to see whether the behaviours that you're seeing are the behaviours that you were expecting or asking for, right? Yeah. Um, So that's a big piece around it. I think one of the other pieces about how do we measure workplace culture, um, so Larger organisations will tend to go for things like employee engagement surveys and, yep. you know, like small to medium size as well, employee yep. engagement surveys. Um, I think that they are a versatile tool, but they should be taken sort of lightly. They're not the be-all and the end-all, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, you know, you can get some really great data off an employee engagement survey, um, but you also need to take that in the context in which the survey was given out. You know, for example, did people feel like they could safely, um, you know, speak yeah. their mind, for example? Mm. Do they do they feel like anything's even going to happen with it? Was the survey designed well enough to actually get some meaningful data out of it? You know, like all of those sorts of things fall into the survey sort of piece. Um, it can be really helpful to get some uh, quantitative data out of it as well. Um, so that can be really good to at least give you some indications of where you need to start looking to improve your culture. Mm. Um, so we do things like um, we do what we call a culture audit, you know, the old accountant phrase. Um, and no, I totally understand where that name comes from. Having, yeah. um, <laughs> Probably from me, yeah, terrible. Um, and, and it's not, I, I try not to actually say it too much to my clients because, you know, the, the connotations of an audit makes them feel terrible. Mm. Um, you know, like, oh, my goodness. Green tick or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to yeah. get checked, you know. Like, um, but what we do is we look for um, and listen to a cross-section of staff to be able to find out what is the actual experience of the staff and what is the actual culture. And then we um, we usually interview all the leaders as well 
And we basically draw the comparisons and say, okay, here's, and it's, it's literally a gap analysis. Mm. Um, here's where you thought it was. Here's where your staff feel it is. These are the places where there's opportunities to bring those two together. And so, um, so that can be really helpful. And then my final thing to answer this question mm. is there has been a study done, which I, um, I took part in and sort of picked up the, picked up a little bit of it and started to work with it and you know to say that I'm at the complete end of it would be a complete another lie but um, the study was at the start of a project called return on culture where we were looking at how we could actually assess the value of culture because for a long time I've been trying to give people um, particularly my clients um a figure for sort of the return on investment that they're investing in, you know, working on their culture because, you know, often there needs to be a business case put forward so then there can be investment put into something like this. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've done that quite successfully and we get really great returns and everything like that, but I was really interested to see what else um, other people were doing. So the return on culture um, project looks at a comparative um, set of data. So it will look at one person, for example, who, or two people essentially, who've been onboarded to an organization at the same time, um, one who um, is in a really positive culture and one who isn't, and look at sort of their employment journey, if you like, and the costs associated to that. Um, and that's a really interesting study just to see the difference in performance levels, um, therefore productivity how long their tenure is with the organisation, the cost to replace them, like all of those pieces that go into the employment journey mm. um, and the effect that the culture has had all the way along that employment journey pathway. Um, yeah, it's in its, it's in its, I wouldn't say it's in its infancy. Mm. It's, probably, it's probably in its toddler years at the moment, um, but we're still working on it. So, yeah. That's really, really interesting because, I mean, you know, we've spoken here on the podcast before, but it's we know that the, the cost of turnover in a position is significant. You know, the studies show us between a third and, and one and a half times the salary. Then you've got the costs of the productivity loss. Um, so it, it's getting those kind of costs that aren't necessarily black and white or tangible, but are impactful on the bottom line of the business and understanding what they are and how that ties into your workplace culture, how those costs are a result of the strength or weakness of your work, workplace culture, I guess. it's That's really fascinating. Yeah. And there's so many metrics and it builds yeah. a very, very compelling picture, I can tell you. So mm. you know, with, my, with all the organisations that we work with, we will look at productivity levels as our sort of first stop. Um, but we also look at things like absenteeism, we look at staff turnover, um, we look at quantifying relationships between teams, you know, so mm -hmm. the cost of um, low productivity and sort of handovers and transitions between teams as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so far reaching, it really is. Yeah. Um, and I guess this is this is where culture and employee engagement kind of uh, come together, isn't it? Because if you've got a strong workplace culture that and, and you're employing people that are, you know, right for that culture, I guess, essentially, you're going to have higher engagement levels. And we know that engagement results in higher productivity, which results in higher profitability. So it, it's kind of where the two meet, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I love that. Um, now, what about when we're bringing new people into our business? Now, 
I was having a discussion recently about, you know, whether you're hiring for a values match or what people are most often thinking, I think, when they're hiring is, is this person a good cultural fit for my business? And again, this is a question from our community. How they're curious, how can they effectively assess cultural fit when you're only at the interview stage? And I'll be, I'm really curious to hear your answer on this because it is something that I know so many people worry about and they want to get it right when they're hiring because they know that a bad hire or the wrong hire can be so costly. So do you have ways that you suggest that we can assess cultural fit at interview? So, again, it's, this is tricky territory mm. um, because we do know that people put on their game face for interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've watched clients of mine who I thought have had a really great handle on their culture and, you know, unfortunately still ended up with somebody who three months into the role started to show their true colours and they mm. weren't a good fit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is tricky territory. So, you know, I always say to, um, to our clients to make sure that they are first and foremost, they're really clear on what that, what that culture is. Yep. And I think that it is a really great thing to spend some time in your interviews discussing that with your potential employee mm. um, and saying this is what our culture is all about, not in a rah-rah cheerleading kind of a way, mm. but in a really serious, this is the expectations that this organization holds of all the people that you know come and work for it. Um, and you know, as a result, you will be part of a team. Um, and then you know, ask them for their for their feedback um, on what what the culture you know what that what that means to them. How do they think that they would need to amend their behaviour, for example, or where do they see that you know from what I just spoke about in the culture um, that would be a really natural fit for you, or how does that align to your own personal values and behaviours? Mm. You know, those sorts of questions will really help um, to tease out. Um, people that are really not a fit. I mean, I have sat in some interviews where as the person is actually going through and describing the culture, the employee has not got the best poker face, if you know what I mean, and they're just, they're like literally pulling faces about the culture. Oh, that's very funny. (laughs) Stop now. Exactly. Interview over. I think we all know where this is going. But I think, and this is, this comes back to how important it is to be really clear on what exactly your culture is whether and and whether you've done the work on your values or not if you're not clear on what your workplace culture is how you do things around here then it's going to be impossible for you to tell an interview whether someone's the right fit for that culture because you don't know yourself yeah exactly and it all stems back to those behaviors Hmm. everything is back to the behaviors when you think about values values inform behaviors yes so you know and the same is true with the culture what sort of behaviors are we wanting and are we expecting here and then the really great thing and this is the um this is the top tip of the day I think so listen Mm. up everyone (laughs) um uh the really great thing is once you know behaviors now you can start to embed them into your practices and your processes and your systems and then your culture starts to go into autopilot yes because your your systems and your processes actually start to drive the culture that you're looking for yeah I love that and and the other area that I encourage you all to be really clear on the behaviors on and get it in this document is in your KPIs in your position descriptions because 
you can have a great position description that tells someone what they need to do all the time, but if you're not telling them this is how we do things around here and, and we're going to hold you to this as a key performance indicator, you're not measuring it. Can't be measured, yeah. can't be managed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I find um, in particular, and I'm sorry, I'm about to pick on the sales force of anyone. <laughs> Um, but I do find in particular there's a real tension between um, sales teams and values and culture quite often because their metrics and their KPIs, and I'm so pleased you brought this up, yeah. um, their metrics and their KPIs often make them feel like they've got a choice there, as in I either choose to meet my budgets, my um, targets, or I behave in line with the values. And it shouldn't be an either or, it should be an and. Um, Absolutely. And and so, you know, like that's just that's just an area that, you know, it's an area that I always am, am very interested in looking in whenever we go in and do culture audits because it's often the place where we start to th- see things unraveling and then we start to look at, okay, so how was that enabled to occur? Mm. Um, you know, like is it actually that the organisation is saying, you know, we've got hugely higher integrity and that's one of our values. But, you know, actually the the true the true culture says um, we'll do anything to make sure we meet our targets and our budgets. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, Simon Sinek talks a lot about this concept of ethical fading and I think that's exactly what you see at play when you've got teams that are motivated and incentivized, and all of their objectives are, you know, surrounding things like, making sales, making revenue, achieving these particular goals and objectives, if it's totally at odds with what you want your culture to be, then what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> of course they're going to chase yeah. the sale. That's their, It's intrinsic to what they're built to do as well yeah. in those roles. Yeah. So um, so then the, the values, the ethics, the culture, that all fades away in significance because they're chasing something else. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of really great examples that we can look to to say, well, how can these, um, you know, not be mutually exclusive, actually um, still be in the same space together? Um, Because there's a lot of organisations out there that are, you know, doing incredibly well and holding both of those metrics um, to high regard in their organisation. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a really important thing to be not only mindful of but really start to think about in your business too because we know that the generations coming into the workplaces now and in the future are much more focused and motivated to work for businesses that have a particular values proposition that are either not necessarily in in not-for-profit or charity worlds but have some goal or objective that is tied intrinsically to a core set of values and that are very values-driven. We know this from these upcoming generations. If we're not clear on it now, then we're not going to be able to attract the best and the brightest in the next 10 years. Yeah, and and that is that brings me to a really great point. So thank you for segueing me into that. Mm. Um, and that is that is the fact that you know be really mindful of the fact that we don't all have that same shared set of values, and we yeah. are experiencing this now as we're coming into um, into the different generations coming into our organisations. They do have completely different sets of values. Mm. Um, And, you know, that old industrial age kind of um, head that we all inherited from our parents and our grandparents Mm. has actually been incredibly diluted, I think, in this sort of current um, generation. Mm. And so it's not for, it's not 
um, a lot of people, it's not about, you know, working incredibly, incredibly hard. In fact, they're looking for ways to work smarter um, all the time. And how can I, you know, um, get more with less, Mm -hmm. um, less damage on the planet, less damage on, you know, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the tension that exists between those two different value sets often sees organisations not listening to that generation that's coming into their organisation, even though they actually have some really great um, ideas and thinking to share with organisations because they come at it from a very, very different place. Mm. And so, you know, I've seen many times where um, a leader is not prepared to listen to somebody who's just entered into their organisation who could have some incredibly good ideas. I mean, just because you're listening to them doesn't mean you need to implement them the next day. You know, you can still take them on board and then take them away and decide it's still not um, not the right thing for your organisation. Mm. But listening to those ideas um, and because of those different values sets, um, they can be incredibly powerful um, and, and help you to see things that you would never have seen before. Yeah, it's, it's opening your mind to think in different ways. And, and different does not mean wrong. And I think yeah. that's it's so critical just because different generations have a whole different approach to work in general, um, as well as their, you know, their entire values set has been formed by a whole different set of experiences to what ours were. Different is not wrong. Different can, in fact, be really strong for your organisation. I think one of the biggest mistakes I, I sometimes see businesses make is hiring everyone that's just like themselves because then it's just like an echo chamber. They're all thinking the same way about the same things. There's going to be no opportunity for innovation in different ways and for different ways of thinking when they do that. Yeah, yeah. And the, the really sad thing I see about that is there's nobody that's raising their hand saying, hey, we could potentially do something differently or, hey, have we looked over there? And so they keep rolling along thinking they're doing the right thing and then suddenly disruption come and whack them from the side somewhere Mm. and they're like, oh, that's not fair. What happened now? My business is, you know. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't create a stable business that is going to withstand any storm that might come its way if that's how you're approaching it. So having this variety of generations, variety of viewpoints in your business it can actually be really strong for your culture. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of work in the um, sort of innovation space and helping um, organisations to become more innovative, um, which, you know, I say that a little bit with my <laughs> tongue in cheek. Because, yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny because, you know, we as a human race have got a lot of proof to say we're quite innovative. Um, you know, yeah. we've we've been doing some fairly innovative things for yeah. the last few thousand years. <laughs> um, and so, you know, to become more innovative, I think, is is a funny kind of a term or to have an innovation culture is a funny kind of a term. Mm. So I often encourage my, um, my organisations to reframe that and say, how about we shape it, we reframe it to a culture of curiosity. And when we start to reframe it to a culture of curiosity, it means then that we approach and look at everything through a very different lens because now we're curious, now we're interested in, oh, that's different, haven't seen that before, Um, rather than it being, you know, just um, trying to conform to the same old, same old, because there's a lot of organisations that start to try and um, apply innovation or start to... um, take on some new innovation practices 
and the organisation basically eats it alive. It cannibalises itself. Mm. Um, and so they're not successful. And, you know, that is the culture turning on a new initiative. Um, and so, you know, that's what I say to organisations. If you start to look at embedding a culture of curiosity first, then that won't, you know, that's going to help for that not to happen when you do want to create some new maybe sub-business sub or a new department or division of your organisation, the rest of the organisation isn't going to eat it alive. Yeah, it's, it's being change resistant, um, oh, yeah. you know, being welcome to. I love that point about curiosity. When I'm when I'm teaching interview skills, it's one of the three core ingredients that I teach is curiosity because if you're not curious, you're not going to ask the best questions. Yeah. And the best questions always give you the answers you need. And if you apply that mindset to everything in your business, of course, that creates so many more possibilities. Exactly, exactly. And, um, and you know, there was a, lot, a big piece of work done, oh, gosh, uh, mid-90s I think it was by um, Peter Senge with the fifth discipline and he talked about learning organizations yeah. and having you know learning organizations and this is the same sort of premise um, but I found that people were like learning organizations oh now I need to go and learn what a learning organization is <laughs> so if I just say to them have a culture of curiosity everybody gets that yeah oh okay right um, and so, you know, it might be, oh, we're curious to know and understand about this particular new development in this piece of technology. Who are we going to, who, you know, who's going to be responsible for finding out more and bringing it back to the organisation? Mm. You know, that can be how you can start to develop that kind of learning organisation mm. just through curiosity. Yeah. I love it. So simple, but so powerful. Exactly. Mm. One last question before we wrap up. If we feel like we've got a problem with our workplace culture, it's not where we want it to be, and we've identified that, what are some simple steps that we can do to start to not take it, well, take control of the situation, yes, but to improve the situation? Where would you start? Would you start by talking to your people? Would you start by doing work on your values? What steps could people take? Um. Oh, la, la, la. There's probably a million. <laughs> this is another big question. Yes. Um, okay, so the first the first step that we need to take in this situation is we need to identify what's not working. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I'm saying such an obvious first step is because so many times I have organisations come to us and say, our culture is broken or whatever, you know, adjective they want to use to describe it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I say, oh, yeah, how so? Well, it's just broken. Yeah. Right? So very hard for us to offer any help, very hard for them to have, you know, gotten anywhere with it. Mm. Hence they come to us and say, you need to fix it. Um, but if we can identify what's going wrong, then we can start to look at it. And so once we can start to identify what's going wrong, so it might be, first of all, it might be um, behaviours that are exclusive to a particular team, or it might be inter-team type behaviours, in which case then I'd really encourage some team activities to take place. Um, I really favour things like culture canvases, so I'm not too sure whether anyone's aware of them, but if you've seen the business model canvas, think that, but for culture. Um, and there's, there's several different iterations that are around um, at the moment. And I just find them such a valuable tool to take a team um, through to say, okay, let's do a reset here. What are the behaviours that we want to have just as our little small team? What are the values that we're going to hold each other accountable 
for? Um, how do we show up? How do we show up in meetings? How do we communicate with each other? When is it acceptable to have an email and not acceptable? You know, like what are the tones that we can talk to each other in? It, get, it can go into so much detail. Mm. And then we've got a team on a shared page. So if it's just specific to one team, that's a really great way to do it. Mm. Um, if you're finding that it is um, systemic and it's across the entire organization, then yes, now we're starting to look at something like a values reset. Mm -hmm. um, but a values reset with that condition that it's going to be well implemented. Yeah. So the behaviors, the meaning are all in there as well. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that people can always do, and you know, in my opinion, should always do, is there should be something in people's performance reviews that um, is aligned to the culture. Oh, so be I totally that, agree. Yeah. So be that um, their, you know, their portrayal of the values. Maybe it's that. Um, be a, a particular thing that's an aspect of um, your culture. Um, how well are you helping the business to fulfill its mission, for example, could also be part of it. Mm -hmm. So um, those things, having them in performance reviews, um, then we can also open up, well, actually, there were, you know, you didn't, you didn't meet the mark on this one. Yep. So how are we going to now correct that? Um, and that can be a really nice open conversation. Um, so I think that's it. Individual performance reviews, teams I'd do the canvas with and organisational-wide wide, I'd do a values um, reset. I'd also, with the organisational piece, um, if you don't want to do a values reset, I'd be looking at how are the systems and processes um, either helping or hindering yeah. the um, culture. Um, because as we've spoken about, quite often we've got metrics in place that we realise are actually asking for a different set of behaviours than what we were looking for. Um, and sometimes we've got systems that just prohibit people um, behaving in the way that we'd like them to. Yeah, that's so true. And I, my number one takeaway from this conversation is our behaviours, the behaviours we exhibit ourselves and also we tolerate or encourage from others is what's going to determine our culture. Without so, doubt. If we're not behaving in a way that's aligned with the culture we're trying to create, we've got no chance. And if we're tolerating behaviour that is inconsistent, then we're allowing a culture to be created that we don't want. So mm -hmm. it's on us, I think, is the end answer. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. This has been a fabulous discussion and I know that our listeners are going to have loved this. Now, I'll pop all of your contact details in the show notes, but where is the best place for people to reach you? Do you like them to contact you on LinkedIn or what's your preferred way if someone wants to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on all the all the socials. socials. <laughs> yeah, as, as you need to be these days. Um, but yeah, via the website is a great way because then the um, team gets um, involved as well so if I am away or anything like that it will still get picked up um, LinkedIn is also good I'm often on there um, not posting nearly as much as I'd like to be but you know that's <laughs> story of our lives as entrepreneurs yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah they're two um, best places or you can just email me directly sarah at leadingculture.co.nz fabulous fabulous guys I'm going to put all of those details in today's show notes Sarah thank you again I have loved this discussion and I really really appreciate you spending the time with us here on the people powered business podcast oh it's been my pleasure thank you for having me well 
Wasn't that awesome? It was so great to chat to Sarah and to get her insights and her guidance. Um, as you would have heard in the interview, I had a couple of sneaky questions that some of our members inside People Powered Business had asked, and I was really glad that I got to ask those to a culture expert directly, because um, I think they are questions that many of you will have had as well. So Sarah, as you will have heard, sees herself as an absolute change champion. She's an organizational development specialist, where she really specializes in this company culture. And her business does training, uh, learning design, culture audits, and of course, she does public speaking just like this to share her wisdom. So I was so grateful that Sarah could join us here on the podcast. And if you would like to connect with Sarah, if you really enjoyed everything that she had to say, then I will have all of the contact details for Sarah in today's show notes. So if you just go to peopleparedbusiness.com and click on episode number 71, you will find those there, her email address, um, her LinkedIn connections, uh, and how you can best connect with her. Her company again is Leading Culture. So if you just go to leadingculture.co.nz is where you'll find more about Sarah's business and what her company can offer in terms of improving your workplace culture. I really hope you've enjoyed that interview. As I said, I love having special guests here on the podcast and I was especially grateful to have Sarah's time working through this culture piece with us. Now, before I go today, I do have a special invitation for you. If you would like to connect with other like-minded leaders, business owners, and managers uh, in a place where we have a bit of fun, talk all things people in HR, and where I provide direct training each and every week, I'd love for you to join us over in our free Facebook group, HR Support for Australian Businesses. The link will be again in today's show notes over at peoplepoweredbusiness.com, episode number uh, 71, not 21, 71. Um, And you can also just go to Facebook groups and search HR Support for Australian Businesses and we'll be right there. If you'd love to join us, I would absolutely love to have you in the group. It's a wonderful community and such a great group to be a part of. As I said, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We do have a bit of fun and we also take the world of building amazing teams quite seriously as well. So if you'd love to join us, I'd love to see you there. Again, join me in thanking Sarah. She's been a great guest here on the podcast. And if you'd like to connect with her, please check out today's show notes. Thanks so much for joining me here today. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to joining you again next week for the next episode of the People Powered Business Podcast. 